Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we invite you this morning into our lives. Lord, teach us, speak to us, energize us. In Jesus' name we humbly pray. Amen. We have reached the final sermon in our series in the book of John. And we get back to John chapter 15. And the great vine, Venus Vinifera, is now 250 years old. And it's the largest grapevine in the world. It was planted in England in the year 1768, while Lancelot Capability Brown was in charge of the gardens at Hampton Court. A short distance from London, upstream in the river of Thames, Lancelot Capability Brown directed the planning of the great vine from a cutting taken of Valentine's Mansion in Essex. The vine is grown on the extension method where one plant fills a glass house. As Victorian gardeners thought this method would produce a larger crop, Queen Victoria had grapes from the grapevine sent to the royal household at Windsor or to the Osborne House at the Isles of Wright. The decision to allow them to be sold to visitors was made by Edward VII, who decided that the royal household no longer needed them. Later, they were told and sold in a small wicker basket at San Dunstan's at the house for soldiers blinded by the First World War. In the Second World War, German POWs were given the task of thinning out the bunches of grapes. But in the 1900s, a three-quarter span wooden glass house was built, which was a new shape and quite different from the existed before. As this one incorporated a viewing area for the public. It was in 1969 a new glass house was needed. By that time, the vine had become so entwined in the existing structure that the only way forward was to build a new aluminum glass house over the old wooden one. The dormant vine was protected by a polythene sheeting and an old glass, and its supporting wooden frame was removed, leaving the iron framework of the 20th century structure and the vine in place. In Scripture, we have several references relating to the planting, tending, and harvesting of the grape. You see, the appearance of the grapevine that is grown in the Holy Land is much like that of a small tree. The branches which may be left on the ground or allowed to entwine themselves 
bore clusters of fruit that would weigh from 10 to 12 pounds. To the Hebrews, a a vineyard was the most valued possession. And to the promise, and to be promised the fruits of the vine forever was a symbol of security, prosperity, and reward. To dwell under one's fig or tree or vine symbolized contentment, peace, and shalom. And now we turn to the story, John chapter 15. Come with me to John chapter 15. We turn to the story in verse 1. John chapter 15, verse 1. And the moment in time when they left the upper room, Jesus and his disciples walked to the garden to the east side of Jerusalem, right across the Hidron Valley in the garden to the Garden of Gethsemane. On the way there, they apparently stopped somewhere in the city, probably the temple, where Jesus continued his farewell discourse and prayed for his disciples. Let's read together John chapter 15, verse 1. And it says this way, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Right off the bat, we see that Jesus describes himself as the true vine. Verse 1, come with me, begins with Jesus opening up another illustration similar to that of John chapter 10 by saying the words, I am the true vine. This is the seventh and the last metaphorical I am sayings of Jesus in the book of John. As we previously saw the last time, the gospel of John is the only gospel that recounts seven unique I am sayings that Jesus pronounced during his ministry. Seven, the sacred number among Hebrews and others in the ancient East. The number seven in its various uses in the Bible expresses fullness and completeness. This is significance 
Of course, the significance here is that Jesus is using this I am statement. He is declaring that he is the sovereign, the omnipotent God, the great I am, the one who came before Abraham, the God of the Old Testament, the one who brings fulfillment and completeness to all things. Author Ellen White in Desire of Ages says that the Jews had always regarded the vine as the most noble of plants and a type of all that was powerful, excellent and fruitful. Israel had been represented as a vine which God had planted in the promised land. The Jews based their hope of salvation on the fact of their connection with Israel. But you see, in the Old Testament, the vine is a recurrent symbol for the nation of Israel. They were supposed to be life, bringing fruit to the world. But unfortunately, the prophets and the poets of the Bible don't describe the nation of Israel in a good way, but as a decaying bad vine bearing bad fruit into the world. And Jesus comes along and he says, and he appropriates this language indicating that he is not the bad vine, that he is not bringing the bad food into the world, but that he is the good and true vine, the real vine. In other words, Jesus says to his disciples, don't think that through a connection with Israel, you may become partakers of life of God and heirs of the promise. Don't place your hope of salvation on your connection with Israel. Don't place your hope of salvation on your lineage. Don't place your hope of salvation where you come from. Place your hope of salvation in me. Through me alone is spiritual life received. But then Jesus says to his disciples in verse chapter in verse 3 come with me John 15 verse 3 you are already clean because the word i have spoken to you notice Jesus the gardener is the one who cleans or prunes his disciples before they have done anything before they fled before Judas betrayed, before Peter denied, before Thomas doubted, they were already clean. Before the Great Commission of sending the apostles to the world, creating the new and early church of believers, before they had performed good deeds or misdeeds, before they had done righteous acts or unrighteous acts, they were already clean. God is the one who does the cleaning. It is not any form of self-righteous cleaning that we do. Contrary to bad Christian theology, cleanliness or being right with God is not some future state that we're in, but it is the reality that we already have the moment that we are in Christ. The moment that we are in Christ. The reality. Not a future reality, but a current reality. The very moment 
you're part of the vine. Think about the disciples that were with Jesus. When he spoke these words, they didn't have it all together. But the words that Jesus spoke were true. And when you believe, so are you. Again, we see at the beginning of this chapter that Jesus describes himself as the source of life, as the true vine, as the real vine, and the one that cleans. Jesus says in verse 4, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The text tells us that being attached to the vine brings opportunity for bearing fruit. In Jesus, the true vine, we have access to life. If we become disconnected from the true vine, we perish and we die. Like a branch on a tree, it becomes, if it becomes disconnected from its trunk, it withers and dies. Therefore, this union with Jesus, once formed, must be maintained. The disciples were reminded that only the branches that are not taken away can remain productive. It is through the work on the cross that Jesus became the life giver to a dying human race, the seed planted to be the vine for the world. Bottom line, without Jesus, we can't survive. Author Ellen White in Desire of Ages says that this abiding or remaining that Jesus is talking about is no casual touch. No, no, no. This abiding, this remaining that Jesus is talking about is no off and on connection. The branch becomes a part of the living vine, the communication of life, strength, and fruitfulness from the root to the branches is unobstructed and constant. Separated from the vine, the branch cannot live. No more, said Jesus, can you live apart from me. The life you have received from me can be preserved only by continual communion. Without me, you can overcome sin or resist one temptation. Jesus' call to abide or remain in him as he does in them in this context refers to the mutual indwelling. It makes clear that the strength of the branches depends on their vital union with the branch, with the vine. Simply put, no branch can bear fruit of itself. And this brings to us an apt illustration of two spiritual concepts. Number one, the real Christian life exists only when there is an intimate, unbroken relationship with Jesus. And faith and obedience are not the natural resorts of human effort. Spiritual concept number two. Believers must choose to believe and to remain in Jesus or they will be cut off. 
That is, the, the divine wine dresser will let them follow the course of their own choosing. Jesus is our God. And He loves us so much that He allows us to choose for ourselves. He does not force us. He's there waiting for us and allowing us to make the decision. It is not about striving. It's about abiding. But I want to ask you a question. What does it mean to abide or to remain? Abiding in Jesus means a constant receiving of His Spirit. Without His Spirit, we can't do nothing. We need His Spirit to constantly guide us, to constantly move us, to constantly be with us. The Holy Spirit lighting in us a life, an unreserved surrender to His service. The channel of communication must be open continually between man and his God. As the vine branch constantly draws the sap from the living vine, so are we to cling to Jesus. Lord, I'm clinging to you this morning. Lord, I'm clinging to you today. You know that I cannot do it anymore. You know, Lord, that I can't survive anymore. You know my problems. You know me. You know my situation. You know my struggles. Lord, I'm clinging to you, Jesus, this morning to receive from him by faith the strength and the perfection of his own character. It's like... Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We become transformed. His image in our lives Our character is transformed. What are we contemplating? What are we watching? What is taking control of our lives? Paul says, By faith we receive strength and perfection of His character. Our loves, longings, and desires need to align with those of Jesus of Nazareth. When Jesus says in verse 5, If you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The text tells us that when we live by faith on the Son of God, the fruits of the Spirit will be seen in our lives. The connection of the branch with the vine, said Jesus, represents the relationship you are to sustain with me. The danger, of course, is that we could be, that we could appear to have a connection with Jesus, yet bear no fruit and have false branches. 
American theologian Rich Villodas says in his book, The sad irony of our day is that we can be so deeply committed to being a Christian, but not be deeply formed by Christ. It means that we can be doing all the Christian things and yet not be deeply formed by Jesus. A deeply formed life is marked by an ever-increasing reliance upon God, especially prayer that produces the character of Jesus in us. Again, what does Jesus do? He brings life. He brings, he is the gardener who cleans at the beginning of the Christian life, not just at the end. He is the source of life through the power of the resurrection. And if we notice, Jesus repeats a phrase twice in verse, chap- in verse 3 and in verse 4. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In the Christian life, have you ever wondered how much does God do and how much we do? If you think about what God has done for us, If you think about the prophets and the poets that God has sent to give us the scriptures so that we can know him more intimately and deeply, he has given us people and leaders through the ages to lead us closer to Christ. He has gone all the way to become a human himself and to live among us to be a sympathizing Savior, to deal with the problems of sin, to dethrone the power of darkness to the point that he would experience the separation from his Father so that he, so that we would never have to. Ultimately, he has risen from the grave so that we can have confidence in the love and the power of God. Simply stated, Jesus has done everything. And his invitation for us is to abide, to make a home and stay. Throughout the ages, what believers have done to practice this abiding is probably something that you and I have already done. Reading scripture, prayer and fasting, worshiping and community, doing acts of justice and mercy, practicing moments of silence and solitude, giving generously. So what do we do? As followers of Jesus, we develop habits and practices of abiding We create an intentional space in our lives for God to do the deeper work of gardening our hearts. We make a home and we stay. We remain. And the purpose of it all, the trimming, the pruning, the cleaning, the abiding, is that Jesus would be in us and that we would be with Jesus. Jesus says in verse 11, so that my joy may be in you 
and that your joy may be complete. Notice that Jesus doesn't mention happiness because happiness is something temporal, something that is transient, something that comes and goes. Jesus mentions joy because he knows that in this wasteland of a world, we will pass through moments of sorrow, grief, and pain. Joy is not never being sad. In the Hebrew Bible, there's even a book called Lamentations. Sorrow and pain are viewed as real things in the Bible. True joy is not found in noisy laughter or gritty excitement caused by shallow pleasures of this world. The joy that we have is not because we don't face suffering, but because we have a God who suffered himself and put suffering into the grave. And now he ministers to us in our pain. Her joy is not rooted in our circumstances or in our feelings, but is rooted in the true reality and the event of the resurrection, greater than the great vine of the gardens in Hampton Court near London that have only lasted 250 years. Jesus is the true vine. And because of that, our joy can endure all kinds of things. And I know that many of us are going through so many things right now. But there, where you are, in this moment, in this place, Jesus is there. And He sees you. He sees you where you are. He sees you through the many things. And he says to you, it's okay. You're going to make it. You will make it. You will endure. MPC, we can find joy in resting in his love, in victories won, and in unselfish service for humanity. That is the mission of Jesus. That is the mission of his followers. So this morning is simple. The invitation of this story is to experience joy here and now. Every day by those who abide in Christ. Do you want to experience that joy? Do you want to come closer to Jesus? To cling to Jesus and to say, Jesus, here I am with all my brokenness, with all my sorrow, with all my failures, with everything that I have in me. Here I am. Jesus is waiting. He's here for you. Let us abide. In Christ, let's not strive, but abide.
If, you, if this is your desire, would you stand and sing our, our final hymn? Let us pray. Our Father, it is our desire that we would be not just connected to the true vine, but Lord, we want to have this union of connection with you and to share, Lord, the fruits and the happiness that you can only offer. Lord, we surrender our lives. We give you our lives. And Lord, we ask that you would direct every single person this morning as they make a commitment with you and as they decide to follow you. This is our humbly prayer that we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.